Section six of Guelphs and Ghibellines by Oscar Browning. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter six Adolf of Nassau, Henry of Luxembourg, Venice. Rudolf of Habsburg, Emperor of Germany, died on July fifteenth, twelve ninety one. He was succeeded by Adolf of Nassau a prince of comparatively poor house in the neighbourhood of the Rhine. Adolf was crowned at Aix-la-Chapelle on June 24, 1292, but exactly six years afterwards was deposed. The electors called the people together and proclaimed that the king had rejected the counsels of the wise and acquiesced in those of the young men, and had never fulfilled the duties of a ruler. Also that he had no wealth of his own or friends who could help him faithfully seeing these defects and more than twenty others they had asked and so they said obtained the papal permission to absolve him from the dignity of reigning each elector gave his own reason one said king adolf is poor in money and friends he is a fool the kingdom under him will soon fail in wealth and honour another said it is necessary that he should be deposed another proposed to choose the duke of austria another said the council is sound let it be done at once among the more circumstantial charges were the following he had been useless and faithless to the interests of the empire he had neglected italy and the outlying provinces he had failed to maintain the peace and had allowed and encouraged private war he had neglected good counsel despised the clergy condemned the nobles and preferred mere knights in their place and had served as a mercenary in the armies of edward i of england his successor was albert duke of austria son of the emperor rudolph he was nominated concurrently with the deposition of his predecessor and was crowned at aix-la-chapelle on august twenty fourth twelve ninety four adolf did not give way without a struggle but was killed in the battle of golheim near Worms. albert did not pay any greater attention to the affairs of italy than his predecessor had done the ghibellines of the type of dante who sought in the power of the emperor the best means of appeasing the factions of their country looked to him in vain dante cries out indignantly in the purgatory six ninety seven o albert of germany thou who abandoned her who has turned untamable and savage whereas it was thy duty to vault into the saddle may a righteous judgment fall upon thy race from heaven and may it be new and clear to all men so that thy successor may dread it for himself for thou and thy father drawn aside to the north of the alps by your cupidity have allowed the garden of the empire to become a desert albert was occupied in increasing the possessions of his house and in trying to extend his authority over the free cantons of switzerland in the north of which lies the old castle of habsburg the cradle of the house of austria in his reign took place the patriotic struggle of the forest cantons for freedom which are known to us by the oath of the rutli and the mythical exploits of tell and gessler albert was murdered in thirteen o eight just after crossing the ford of the Reuss close by the castle of Habsburg, by his nephew john whom he had deprived of his possessions 
philip of france who had already intimated to pope clement that his secret and concealed request had been to fix the seat of the papacy in france and to destroy the templars now declared that it was to secure the crown of the empire for his brother charles of valois clement however was by this time weary of compliance and whilst feigning to agree with the king's request wrote to the electors to hasten their proceedings and pointed out to them a desirable candidate henry count of luxembourg a prince of little importance and comparatively poor but well known to be of chivalrous and noble character henry was elected in november thirteen o eight and was recognized by the pope he is known in history as henry the seventh of luxembourg his son john married elizabeth of bohemia and thus became king of bohemia under this title he fought against edward the third and the black prince at the battle of crecy and was there killed the three white feathers which formed his emblem with the motto ich dien still serve as the badge of the princes of wales henry anxious to repair the neglect of his predecessors determined that an expedition to italy should form the first business of his reign in thirteen ten he received the representatives of the italian powers at lausanne on the lake of geneva about the end of september he crossed the grian alps and entered piedmont by the pass of mont Cenis. he reached the town of asti on october tenth like many others who had set their hands to the pacification of italy he resolved to make no distinction of parties but to bring about an understanding between guelphs and ghibellines but it was impossible that he should be regarded by all parties alike the ghibelline despots of the cities of the lombard plain welcomed him with joy but they were not gratified by the intention which he expressed of recalling the guelph exiles on the other hand the cities of florence siena lucca and bologna stood aloof from him and robert king of naples grandson and successor of charles the second sent an ambassador to greet him pisa welcomed him gladly the city in which he afterwards found a tomb with reference to robert of naples it should be mentioned that his grandfather charles the second had died on may fifth thirteen o nine charles martel the eldest son of charles the second had previously succeeded to the throne of his mother maria queen of hungary or at least bore the title from twelve ninety to twelve ninety five when he died his son charles robert was recognized as his father's heir in thirteen o eight and he was of course the legitimate sovereign of sicily he had however been educated entirely abroad and charles the second at his death in the succeeding year left the crown to his second son robert his title was acknowledged by the pope and he reigned as king of naples with claims upon sicily until thirteen forty three henry arrived at milan at the end of december thirteen ten the city was at this time divided between the two factions of the della torre and the visconti guido della torre having for the moment the upper hand the emperor pursued the same policy of peace which he had before adopted in his own he ordered that all the exiles should be allowed to return and that their property should be restored on january sixth thirteen eleven henry was crowned with the iron crown of lombardy in the church of sant'ambrogio 
the appearance of peace was unfortunately of short duration the emperor asked the town council for money guglielmo da pasterla proposed a grant of fifty thousand gold ducats matteo de visconti suggested that an additional sum of ten thousand ducats should be added for the emperor guido de la torre went beyond this second sum and said that nothing short of one hundred thousand ducats was worthy of the wealth and magnificence of the capital of lombardy henry refused to abate any portion of this large contribution and proceeded to lay the districts around milan in a similar proportion this unfortunate want of money always made the german emperors unpopular in italy yet it was not unreasonable that their italian subjects should contribute to their support this demand produced a change of government in milan the two parties of the della torre and the visconti united to expel the germans from the city henry fortunately heard of the conspiracy before it could be put into execution and sent to apprehend those who had contrived the treachery matteo visconti warned in time received the emperor's messengers with expressions of courteous friendship but della torre had unluckily gone too far to dissimulate matteo joined henry in taking arms against the rebels the torrigiani were driven from the town but not without much resistance and a murderous struggle for a moment the cities of the guelphic league were inspired by della torre to throw off their allegiance to the emperor lodi crema and cremona were soon subdued brescia held out a little longer but was also reduced when henry left lombardy for genoa he instituted matteo visconte as imperial vicar in the city and district of milan the city remained subject to his family until they were succeeded by the sforzas in the middle of the fifteenth century the city of genoa had been torn asunder by the two rival families of doria and spinola the first guelph the second ghibelline the doria had at this time just succeeded in getting the upper hand and peace had been made between the two parties henry was received in the proud city as genoa loved to call herself with every kind of honour and was made lord paramount of the town for twenty years in return he confirmed the peace which had been auspiciously begun and on his departure left uguccione della fagula as imperial vicar uguccione governed his charge wisely until the death of the emperor when he removed to pisa and the troubles as we shall see broke out anew henry had received at genoa ambassadors sent somewhat tardily by king robert of naples and there was at this time a faint hope that peace might be secured between the two potentates henry had carefully refrained from interfering with those districts of piedmont which had submitted themselves to the sovereignty of robert but the interests of the two sovereigns were completely and radically opposed as henry proceeded further in his enterprise he found the hope with which he had commenced it impossible to realize the chasm between the two parties of guelph and ghibellines was too wide to bridge over and it became more and more necessary for the emperor to identify himself with that party which had always supported the imperial supremacy and to crush his adversaries by force king robert on returning from avignon where he had gone to be invested with the crown of naples stopped for a time at florence 
here he took counsel as to the best means of opposing the progress of their common enemy robert was the nominal head of the guelphic league but florence was the heart and soul of the confederation it was not without reason that dante who was passionately eager for henry's success urged the emperor again and again with passionate vehemence to neglect all smaller matters and to establish his authority by force in that nest of anarchy the signs of enmity soon became apparent henry's ambassadors were refused a passage through florence and the florentine merchants were expelled from genoa henry set sail from genoa on february sixteenth thirteen twelve he was detained for eighteen days at porto venere a picturesque old town situated at the entrance of the gulf of spezia he arrived at pisa on march sixth and stayed there for six weeks the pisans followed the example of the genoese by investing him with the lordship of their city they had already presented him with sixty thousand gold ducats and they now gave him as much again they hoped that by his assistance pisa might regain her former position as mistress of tuscany leaving pisa on april twenty third he marched through siena and orvieto to rome rome was at this time divided by the tiber into two hostile camps the vatican the castle of sant'angelo and the leonine city were held by the orsini and guelphs the Colosseum and the vatican by the colonna and the ghibellines the emperor's advance was opposed at once he was not permitted to cross the ponte mole without a battle at length the goal of his long pilgrimage was reached and he was crowned emperor in the church of st john lateran on june twenty ninth thirteen twelve the feast of st peter and st paul after the coronation the emperor retired to tivoli and many of his german followers returned home from tivoli he removed to the strong town of todi which he intended to make the base of his operations against tuscany florence had strained every nerve to oppose him she was in communication with all the guelphic cities of italy she endeavoured to shake the allegiance of padua and parma she negotiated with the courts of avignon and france it must be remembered that these vigorous and delicate negotiations were conducted by a government of traders unskilled in the higher politics and represented by a ministry which was changed every two months in august the emperor marched northwards through the territory of perugia and arezzo burning and plundering as he advanced in arezzo he was received with joy in september he marched on florence took the towns of montivarchi and castel san giovanni eluded the florentine army which was posted at incisa and arrived before the gates of the city of flowers on september nineteenth he did not dare to attack because he was greatly inferior in force he allowed the terror inspired by his approach to disappear and the florentines received reinforcements from tuscany and the romagna they indeed paid little attention to him and fortified none of the gates excepting the one before which he was encamped he laid waste the territory of florence till the end of october and then marched to san casciano where he stayed till january sixth finding that pestilence had broken out amongst his troops he retired to the castle of poggibonzo on the road to siena 
and on march sixth returned to pisa the historian volani says of henry that he was never cast down by adversity nor unduly elated by prosperity at pisa he adopted the best means he could devise for securing the ends he had in view he held an imperial court at which he solemnly condemned the florentines and took away from them the right of coining money he deposed robert king of naples and absolved his subjects from their allegiance he made an alliance with frederick of aragon king of sicily and sent pressing messages to germany for a new army at last in the beginning of august thirteen thirteen after receiving large reinforcements both from germany and italy he felt himself strong enough to take the field against the king of naples the florentines on their side conferred the signoria or lordship of their city on king robert for five years the gathering storm was suddenly dispelled by the unexpected death of the emperor at the monastery of buona convento in the neighbourhood of siena the story was long current that he died by receiving the sacrament from a dominican monk in a poisoned chalice but he had long been in bad health and there is nothing strange in his dying of fever in italy at the end of august he was buried in the campo santo at pisa his death closes one of the most romantic episodes to be found in the whole history of medieval italy it also wrought a complete revolution in the affairs of tuscany pisa with the help of uguccione della fagula who had removed to that city from genoa on the death of his mother attempted to place himself at the head of the ghibelline cause at first with some prospect of success the first exploit of uguccione was to capture lucca he then laid siege to the castle of monte catini on the road to florence and here on august twenty ninth thirteen fifteen the florentines were completely defeated philip of tarentum the eldest son of king robert of naples had been sent to their assistance his brother peter and his son charles were slain in the battle in april thirteen sixty one uguccione whose government had become tyrannical was turned out both of lucca and pisa and his place was taken by castruccio castracani whose fortunes we shall follow in another place the republic of venice had remained only an interested spectator of the events which have just been related she sent an ambassador to welcome the emperor henry the seventh on his arrival in italy but defended by her lagoons she was secure against the rivalry of guelphs and ghibellines and devoted her energies to the extension of her empire in the east she underwent however important revolutions of her own during these years venice experienced changes in her internal constitution which gradually made her one of the strongest oligarchies the world has ever seen it is the essence of aristocratic oligarchies that they have to be continually on their guard against two opposite dangers the degeneration into a democracy and the concentration into a monarchy the similarity between the constitutional histories of sparta and venice two states so diverse in origin and in situation show that these tendencies are inherent in the character of the state itself independent of surrounding circumstances we have seen in a previous chapter how the power of the great council was increased step by step 
how it encroached upon the authority of the doge on the one hand and of the people on the other and how its power came gradually to be confined to the representatives of certain favoured families in february twelve ninety seven under the doge per gradenigo who held the office from twelve eighty nine to thirteen eleven and who was a strong supporter of the aristocratic party a law was passed by which the quarantia a judicial board of forty members were to ballot with respect to all those who had been members of the great council within the last four years and every one who received at least twelve votes out of thirty was to be a member for the ensuing year this provision as far as it went confined admission to the great council exclusively to those families who had been already elected to it but the opportunity of infusing new blood into the council was secured by a second provision three electors were to be appointed who should choose out of those who had not sat in the council within four years as many names as the doge and his smaller council of advisers should determine upon and the names so chosen were to be submitted to the quarantia in the same way as the others this second provision was so worked as to be favourable to the advancement of certain chosen families in thirteen hundred the admission of new men was expressly forbidden in thirteen fifteen the names of those who were eligible were inscribed in a book for the inspection of the quarantia as soon as they reached the age of eighteen years finally in thirteen nineteen the three annual electors were abolished the periodical renewal of the great council at michaelmas was given up and it was provided that any one who had the right to be inscribed in the libro d'oro the golden book as it was called became as a matter of course a member of the great council at the age of twenty-five years thus at venice a nobleman was said to prove his right to a seat in the council per suos et viginti quinqueanos that is to say by showing that he belonged to a certain privileged family and that he was five-and-twenty years old in this manner the revolution was accomplished which was called il serrar del gran concilio the bolting or locking up of great council it was a gradual movement and not as is sometimes declared a single act this change did not take place without considerable opposition in thirteen ten there was formed a powerful conspiracy of the popular party headed by bajamonte tiepolo a member of a family well known for its devotion to the popular cause this conspiracy was put down with bloodshed and the heads of it were executed or banished but it had extended its ramifications through all classes of society ten inquisitors of state were nominated at first for two months with full powers over persons of every rank to discover any traces that might exist of the conspiracy their power was prolonged from one period of two months to another till at last in thirteen thirty five it was permanently established by the great council and the people as a regular part of the venetian constitution it was this council of ten which discovered the conspiracy of the doge marino faliero in thirteen fifty five and caused him to be executed it was this council which in fourteen thirty two summoned the great condottieri leader francesco carmagnola to venice subjected him to a secret trial 
and caused him to be beheaded with a gag in his mouth between the two columns of the piazzetta the members of this council who were chosen every year were not allowed to have any family connection with the doge and not more than one might belong to any single house the council of ten gradually came to interfere with every department of state and got the direction of foreign diplomacy into its hands in fifteen fifty nine after the close of this present history a committee of three were elected from the council of ten and were known as the three inquisitors of state with this the organization of secrecy in the administration of home and foreign affairs reached its height End of section six